You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to be joining or joined by once again, the brilliant Mike Stavrou. Mike, welcome back to the programme, mate. How are you? How you been? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. I'm glad because my next door neighbour's dog is an absolute devil. And <laughs> literally it was going mental about five seconds before we came on air, but um, the dog's disappeared. So we're all good. I know you have dog problems as well. Or you have yeah, had. I have had. Yeah, my next door neighbours have got this little annoying yappy little dog that just mm. every time they open the door and it runs outside, just literally barks for the entire time. Recently got my fences fixed, though, and they're a lot higher. Um, and the dog can't stick his head through the gap anymore and try and uh, and try and get into my garden, which has reduced the level of barking. So I think we're some way towards fixing that, which is which is great. Um, Mike, lots to get into off the back of Arsenal's victory over Leeds United in the Carabao Cup last night. I think we can all agree it wasn't a classic. I think we can all agree that actually getting through, despite using fringe players in the most part, is a positive because we can go into that Leicester City game at the weekend with the majority of our first team players being fit, ready and available. It wasn't an inspiring performance, as I say, it wasn't exactly a classic, but overall, I mean, it's got to be a positive, isn't it? That we managed to get over the line. I titled the the reaction podcast last night, the fringe players did it because they did. And, and it wasn't great to see. And it was like in terms of aesthetically, it wasn't something that was particularly inspiring, but we got the job done. Yeah, at the end of the day, cup competitions, the only thing that matters is getting the result, getting through to the next round. And uh, those fringe players were able to do it, even though it looked in the first half that they were really struggling. Leeds obviously put out a strong team. They've been uh, ravaged by injuries, but they still put out a strong team compared to us. Um have to say as well, just wanted to mention, because I was just watching the game back, a little while ago, but their right back was making his debut. I think he's a teenager. He was really good. Uh, Drama, I think his name was Cody Drama. Um, yep. I, th- I thought he was excellent. So it um, reminded me a little bit like um, Wesley Fofana at, um, at Leicester, that sort of build of player, very confident on the ball. Um, and yeah, they, they caused us trouble in the first half, but we eventually got over the line. Um, I was extremely glad uh, to hear Arteta afterwards say that Ben White didn't have an injury he was just ill um there's a bug going around which also kept Pablo memory out as well uh, so that was a big relief because we need him because if I'm being honest about it our second string is not really good enough for me I think when you look at that sort of performance I know that they've not played in a while they've not all played together but when you think about we are you know one or two injuries away from using um some of these players it's a little bit worrying, but as you say, got the job done uh, over the line. We did improve in the second half, to be fair. And uh, yeah, we we did the job. Yeah, absolutely. Got the job done. And that's ultimately all that matters. I, I talked a lot about the game 
on the uh, episode that I recorded last night, uh, which is available now on all the audio platforms available right here on this YouTube channel as well. Uh, so please do check it out if you haven't done so already. But I wanted to pick on a few players individually during this episode, Mike, because there are a lot of talking points, I think, off the back of that game. And and I guess they're wider talking points that have been kind of thrust back into the limelight off the back of what we saw last night. But the first player I wanted to get your thoughts on was Gabriel Martinelli, because there's been a lot of noise from the Arsenal fan base about his lack of game time, about the fact that he should be playing more, about the fact that Mikel Arteta, in, in the eyes of some people, has ruined the guy, which I think is a little bit harsh. But mm. there's obviously a, no, a lot of noise around the young Brazilian I've made my feelings clear on this many times. I think that we need to recalibrate our expectations of Gabriel Martinelli and where we see him in terms of his progression. So I don't want to bore people with with my thoughts again, but what's your take on Martinelli? Is he ready? Does he need to do more? Did he do enough yesterday? What's your take on him? So I think Martinelli... Uh, Arsenal fans are excited about him for a reason. He is an exciting player. He takes people on. He has high energy. He's always looking to to get in on the goals. And I think we were a little bit spoiled with his early form. We didn't really know anything about him when he joined, um, other than he came from a Brazilian side. And he scored 10 goals in his first season, which for a teenager is pretty impressive. And then obviously he got that injury and he has not really looked the same when he's come back. And that is probably for a multitude of reasons, not not probably the injury, but uh, lack of game time, um, confidence. And I think what we were seeing yesterday is a very, very low confidence Martinelli. And I, I did watch him and I, I don't want to be harsh, but I thought he was extremely poor, I think that sort of performance showed why he's not playing at the moment and why he can't get in ahead of the likes of Smith Rowe on the left, um, why he can't get in anywhere at the moment, because I thought tactically he didn't really uh, show what Arteta demands from his from his wingers. Uh, he was a bit erratic. He didn't really offer much of a goal threat. And like it sounds like I'm really blasting the guy, but at the end of the day, this is just a culmination of of multiple factors that have that have led him to to get down this road. I think what he is is a very raw player, a very explosive player, and we know I think that Arteta is quite rigid in in his system. He's quite rigid in terms of what he demands from what his players, and it's clear that Martinelli is not quite at that level yet. I've got every faith that he will you know, go on to be a top player because he's got all the attributes. But at the moment, I think everyone can sort of say hand on heart that he's not he's not ready at the moment, I think. Yeah, that that's the thing, isn't it? And I think it's a, it's a really difficult space for Mikel Arteta to be in as a manager here because on the one hand, you've got people criticising him constantly, talking about the fact that Martinelli's not playing and that he should be playing. And I've seen Arsenal fans, you know, really making a big deal about the fact that he didn't come on for 15, 20 minutes against Aston Villa. And I just think for me, when the games are finally balanced, and I know the Villa game was was done by them, but this is a Premier League game in which as a manager, you are desperate to pick up all three points. You can't be messing around with the team. You can't be bringing on players that you don't believe are ready just because the fans are telling you to do it. You have to be narrow-minded in a sense. You have to believe in what you're doing. And when he has given Martinelli the opportunity this season, and again, like you, I don't want to knock him. I don't want to slate him because I think he's incredibly talented. 
but he's not grabbed those opportunities with both hands. And if you're not doing that, then you're making it easy for the manager to say, you're not part of my first 11. And the first step is to, it's to force your way into contention when we are in those games, when we're kind of, it, the game is in a certain state and we've got 15, 20 minutes remaining. That's how you get on. Then when you come on, you make the impact there or you try. And that's how you're going to prove to Mikel Arteta that you can do it at the highest level. And I don't think when he has had those opportunities this season, he's necessarily taken it. Having said that, he does bring something slightly different to the attack. He brings energy, like you said. He brings a, a kind of doggedness that we don't really see from Saka and Smith Rowe a lot. Um but I described him last night as a bit of a chaos player in that you give him the ball and you don't know what he's going to do. It's that there will be chaos. But in a team that is so, I think, meticulously coached in a team where there are clear patterns of play that Mikel Arteta likes to see, I don't think he he fits that. And, and that's a worry for me because I don't want to lose him and I don't want him to go elsewhere. But also... It, it's as clear as day and people need to start getting that, don't they, before they get on the manager's back about it? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is this thing that um, Arsenal fans have got it in their heads that Arteta, uh, you know, over the summer uh, after the Europa League disaster had to go. And I think one of the things they a stick they used to beat him with is where's Martinelli? Why is Martinelli not playing? And I think almost last night was a bit of a reminder um, and a bit of a eye open actually why maybe he's not been playing and I think that's that's the reason I think there's there's a few things you know tactical awareness as I was saying um, sort of contributing to the team uh, erratic not in the sense of on the ball although he can be but I think like he's tracking back as well and of, of what Mikel Arteta demands it's not quite up to speed all the time and um, ultimately we just need to be patient because he, he's still young and we don't particularly need him at the moment. He's going to be a good backup option, probably a decent impact sub as well. So I don't think it's a it's a huge problem, really. I just think, as you, as you said earlier, people need to temper their expectations a little bit with him. He's not going to go on and be a world beater. I don't think he's going to go and follow in the mould of sort of Smith, Rowe and Saka breaking into the first team and keeping his place. I think he will take time. And for him... It's almost a little bit unfortunate that we haven't got the Europa League this season because you would think that he would play in every game there and then he'd get to get his rhythm. He would, you know, improve, get a bit of form together. But um, we've not got that that luxury this season. So I think just time and patience essentially is what we need. Yeah, for sure. Let's take some of the live comments on the, the Gabriel Martinelli thing. Uh, first of all, though, I want to say a big happy birthday uh, to Wilson, who's celebrating today, one of our regular viewers. Uh, happy birthday to you, mate. Hope you're well. I uh, hope you enjoy your day. And as always, thank you uh, for tuning in. A couple of you are asking, is there a link to participate now? There isn't, my friend, but there will be a phone-in show coming uh, this Sunday night. So if you fancy getting involved in that, uh, then keep your eyes peeled on the uh, community tab on the Twitter feed and we'll share details of that uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, John Daly on Martinelli says he doesn't fit the system at the moment. That's all. Either he can learn to fit into the system or we can maybe play two different systems in time. The team is young and always learning. Um, Jid F32 says Arteta told people last season, that Martinelli wasn't ready, but then the Arteta out armchair managers with zero coaching badges who have never seen a single training session thought they knew better. Um, 
Chris Carrick says, not sure his soccer sense slash judgment is very good just yet. Um, interesting question from Bonds, though. He says, wouldn't Martinelli make more of a difference in a stronger team? I guess he's kind of suggesting that the fact that he is playing largely with a group of fringe players is not helping his cause. But as an individual, Mike, he's still got to do more, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sort of tactical work is what you can do on the on in, 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 essentially behind the cameras in training. And you can really work on that. And I think that's exactly what he needs to do. He needs to nail down exactly what his manager wants him to do. Um, it's a bit of a difficult one because at the end of the day, like you want players that can fit into the system, but you also want players that are different and you want players who have something different. And I think that's what Martinelli does have. So it's a sort of fine line where do you get him to sort of, you know, tone it down a little bit, um, become a bit more of a system player, do what exactly what Arteta wants, but then lose his explosiveness, which is really his big, you know, plus side. It's, it's a really hard one. Um, but the, the only thing he can do essentially is just put his head down work as hard as he can. And then when he gets his, his opportunities, just uh, just shine. But I think he can definitely take a leaf out of the likes of Saka and uh, Smith-Rowe's book because those two are the sort of shining examples of what academy players, young players need to do in order to break into the first team and essentially keep more senior pros out of the squad. So he needs to just look at them, see see what they're doing in training, see what they're doing behind the scenes, um, you know, they, they they sort of keep their head down and and they're they're quite modest and essentially that's what you need as a young player. I'm not saying Gabriel Martinez is not doing that, but I think that's the example that he needs to follow. Um, but as, as I say, it's not a huge worry for me because he's he's a very young guy and uh, he's got a huge future. I mean, maybe it might get to the stage where at the end of the season where he's not really played much football, he needs to go out on loan and get some more Premier League experience because coming in, you know, for the Carabao Cup games is not going to do a, a whole load for him. Um, same with Flo Belligan, actually. I think he's probably going to end up going alone as well. And that's just, unfortunately, the pathway you need to take sometimes. Also as well, you know, we talk about this kind of, or we we suggest that there's this need for Gabriel Martinelli to really do it now and like today and that he hasn't got any time ahead of him. Remember that he's just 20 years old. Emil Smith-Rowe is 21 and Emil Smith-Rowe only really broke into the side between the age of 20 and 21. You know, up until last Christmas, he was nowhere to be seen. He'd gone out on loan to RB Leipzig, spent some time at Huddersfield Town. So by no stretch of the imagination, is it too late for Gabriel Martinelli to make that step yeah. and to improve? And we we need to be aware of that. You know, why can't he go out on loan, get a bit more uh, experience get a bit more playing time and then come back a better player. I understand the concern that a lot of you have raised in the chat, which is around the African Cup of Nations and the fact that we could lose players, um, you know, during that and and what happens there and how do we accommodate for that? I get all of that. But that's where the manager and the club need to weigh up the longer term benefits of doing something like loaning, loaning him out. And, um, and and the impact that it's going to have on the squad. Uh, let's take a couple more comments on it and then we'll uh, we'll move on. Um, ZBlogger9 says, Martinelli's very average. He scored one goal where Kante slipped and the fans got carried away. He's an average squad player that needs to train and work hard to improve. Simple. I think that's slightly harsh, I've got to say. Um, but if you look at his record since he joined the club, you mentioned Mike in the first season, 10 goals, three in the Premier League, 
um, three in the Europa League, four in the EFL Cup. The 2020-21 season, obviously he was injured and he only made a handful of appearances that season, but he didn't get on the score sheet um, in, in any of the cup competitions, managed a couple in the Premier League. And this season so far, seven appearances, no goals. So, you know, it, it is the level has dropped a lot from what we saw in the first season that he was here. And I think you have to accept that that was a bit of a red herring in terms of what it told us about Gabriel Martinelli. And and that's why I keep using the, the words and saying the point that we probably need to recalibrate in our minds where we think Gabriel Martinelli is. Uh, big shout out to Graham, who says, if we could see Martinelli for a few games on the trot, we'd have a better idea. But he looks manic on the ball and doesn't mm. lift his head. Good points. Um Let's see what else we've got. We'll take one more. Um, Guna JB says, Martinelli's talent as a player is bigger than Arteta's managerial talent. Unfortunately, Arteta struggles to properly use these youngsters. I even question his handling of Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe on occasions. I, I, don't, I don't know that, that we can, um, can criticise his handling of Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe because... My only criticism would be that we're using them too much, that they are too relied upon rather than anything else. And they're benefiting from that game time. Of course they are. So I don't see that they would see it like that. You know, I think from a fan's perspective, it's a massive risk going into the campaign, expecting those two young lads to produce the outputs we would need to close the gap on the European places. But I don't think they would see it like that. I think they'd actually be quite grateful to Mikel Arteta for the opportunities and so I think there's a little bit of a, a clash of opinions there. Moving on, Mike, let's talk a little bit about Nicolas Pepe, because he is another player who, you know, is is dividing opinion at the moment, proves mm. that he can contribute goals-wise, assist-wise. The, 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 the numbers and the stats don't lie. He has. But there's something missing there. And I was, again, disappointed with his performance last night. You just think from a £72 million player, like against Leeds in the Carabao Cup, you're not starting in the Premier League. Like, this is your chance. Just go and pr go and show them what you can do. He's clearly got the talent. We all know that. We all see it. Go and put Leeds to the sword, essentially. And it's another performance where he's just not done it. And I, I, I look across um, to Manchester United, and even though, you know, he's, he's hardly played, um, and... There's a lot of noise about him. Jaden Sancho was signed for a very similar fee. Uh, it was it was quite funny slash harsh, but um, I saw on Sky Sport Germany they had um, Sancho dressed in a bond suit and said uh, said 007 because uh, he played seven games, zero goals, zero assists. A little bit harsh, but you know Jaden Sancho is is a top class player and will be. And when you're playing similar amounts, I know the situations are completely different, and we maybe signed Pepe. Uh, to be a bit more of a, I, I don't know, a bit more of a final product, I guess, because he's slightly older, but that's obviously not transpired. I just feel like he's not lived up anywhere near to th that price tag. And for me, it's, it's, it's a worry because we're a few seasons in now and we're, we're not seeing much from him. And I'm just like, where, where do we go from here? Because how many, how many chances is he going to get till we prove to see the sort of money that we shelled out when, when are we going to see the output? It's worrying. But if we agree that that price tag was over the top, which I think we can all do, I think we can mm. all acknowledge that the club overpaid. I think a lot of the reason that Ralph and Lay is no longer at the club anymore is because of that particular transfer. I really do. So if we can agree that, then are we wrong to expect him to live up to that price tag? 
Sure. Yeah, but are we, are we even seeing a 40 or 50 million pound player? I think at, at the moment, I, I don't think we are. I think we're, we're seeing a player who can pitch in here and there, as you say, like, you know, gets a few goals, gets a few assists, but really like Saka it, is outperforming him massively. And this is a player who's cost us nothing, come through the, the academy. So I think you almost, um, I know they're completely different players, but we're not seeing uh, a, a big money signing. But no, no matter what the fee is, yeah, I agree with you. We, we did overpay, but I, I just, and it's so frustrating because we've, we've said it so many times, but the talent is there. He, he's got it all. He's he's able to do it, but for whatever reason, whether it be confidence, whether it be, you know, a, a tactical reason, he doesn't really take on his man. Uh, his shooting can, can be erratic. I think his decision-making is poor at times. I don't want to rip into the guy, but I just feel like it's just getting frustrating now. I think at the end of the season, we're going to have to make a decision. Do we stick with him or do we cut our losses? The way the way I would look at it with Nicolas Pepe is I still think he's a goal threat. I still think he'll create chances. I still think he brings something very different to our front line than any of the others do, just in the sense of his you know, specific skill set. And I think over the course of the season, I, I completely acknowledge that he's going through a difficult period now and it's not really clicking for him. But I think over the course of the season, we will benefit from having Nicolas Pepe around the place. Last season, he scored 16 goals and contributed five assists. That's a pretty good return and it's a much better return than the return of Saka. It's a much better return than the return of Smith Rowe. So I still would say that you have to give him the opportunity this season to to show himself again because it's all good looking at three or four fixtures in sort of succession and saying you know he's been out of form and that means we've overpaid and every time this happens that debate resurfaces again but the reality is that over the course of the season I still believe that he will probably score you more goals than Saka or Smith Rowe. I really do feel that. Unless those guys can really lift the bar and really lift their level and start producing more outputs, then I think that will be the case. And, and that's the challenge for those two this season. Outscore Nicolas Pepe. That's your first mm. port of call. If I'm Bukayo Saka, that's what I'm looking at this season. Because outside of Lacazette and Aubameyang, he was the biggest contributor last season. So if I'm Saka, I'm looking at Nicolas Pepe and I'm saying... My aim this season has to be to get more goals than you, to get more, uh, to produce more outputs than you. And I know a lot of people will say that they're at different stages of their careers. You know, Abdallah says it in the chat now, um, you know, Nahari, the difference is that Saka is 20, Pepe is 26. Of course, you'd expect Pepe to have slightly better output. It's nothing to do with the talent. It's It's not... You know, yes, the outputs are going to be different because of the different stages they're at in their careers. But the point I'm making is you can't, you know, you, you can't avoid criticising those two whenever that conversation comes up. But when it's Nicolas Pepe, stick the knife in every time. So for me, I, I will give him the season and see what he does. If he's not in the starting lineup, I ain't got an issue with it. If that's what Mikel feels is right, then fine. But I still think he will make a valuable contribution over the course of the season. And then if we have to relook at the situation again come the summer, then then we do that. You know, I think we might have uh, lost Mike there on the connection. We'll give him a, a minute or so just to uh, get back into the stream. Um, let's see uh, what you guys are saying. 
on the Nicolas Pepe uh, debate. Uh, Inter says, uh, I'd try Pep as a centre-forward. Um, Pep, Pepe, sorry. Um, he says, I'd try Pepe as a centre-forward. Um, Abdallah says, Junior Gunners talented, or is he taking the mick out of a previous comment? There we go, Mike's back. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Alexander says, if we're debating if Martinelli is good enough and he's the next in line, why the heck would we get rid of Pepe? Um, Gary says, the boss dropped Pepe after last season, didn't he? Didn't give the guy no repay for his good season. He brought in Willian and benched the guy. That's the issue. No, because Pepe was good at the back end of last season. Willian had joined the club at the start of that season. So, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying that, but the reality is that we didn't know at the start of last season that Smith Rowe was going to break through the way he did. And we didn't know whether Saka was going to continue in a really positive trajectory. So I don't think Arsenal were wrong to sign Willian. And I also don't think that the signing of Willian was an uproar to Nicolas Pepe necessarily. Um, can, I, can I ask yeah. you something quickly though, Harry? And I've, I feel like we're sort of disagreeing here. So, yeah, I'm not going to turn it into... No, do it. Massive do it. thing, but do no. It. I just, I like. I, I just want to ask you: Does 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 Pepe get into your best Arsenal eleven at, at the moment? Because it because if if he doesn't, I think that's an issue. On current form, no. On no, just, form, I, I just think just based on who you would like to see in the team, what what you want from them, just just say as, as sort of players based on like what you see over, over an entire season or like just say going into the season would would he be in your sort of best 11 depends on a lot of factors mike it's not it's not <laughs> and i know I sound, like I'm, I, I sound like i'm swerving it but i'm not it, it's it's dependent on a lot of things first of all an informed nicolas pepe would be in my team definitely just because he produces more in front of goal than some of our other wingers one of our my biggest criticisms of arsenal last season was that outside of Aubameyang and Lacazette, we didn't score any goals. It was a massive issue. We were so heavily reliant on those two players and Aubameyang's season wasn't his greatest. And we really, really suffered from that. And we paid the price. So I would welcome anybody who can contribute anywhere near what Aubameyang and Lacazette do in a goal-scoring sense. And although he's going through a difficult period right now, Nicolas Pepe did that last season. He absolutely did. So am I going to now eight, nine games into the new season, jump on his back and say he's crap and we have to bin him out. I, I can't do that. I can't change my mind that quickly. I think with Nicolas Pepe, there are things that he needs to improve in. There are things that, for example, pressing. I don't think he's as strong at pressing as Saka is, as Smith Rowe is. And, and so if Mikel Arteta's plan is to go that way week in, week out, then no, he doesn't make my best eleven. Mm. because he's not suited to that. But I think in a squad, you need to have people with different talents and different attributes and different makeups that you can pull in at certain points in certain games to help you get over the line. And I think that Nicolas Pepe possesses a very unique skill set in comparison to some of the other players that we've got. And therefore, he's good to have around the place. I've already made my peace with the fact that he costs 72 million. That's done for me. You know, I'm not even thinking about that anymore. I don't watch Nicolas Pepe every week and say, wow, we paid £72 million for this guy and he's not a £72 million player. I've acknowledged that. I've probably understood that six weeks into his Arsenal career because you could see that there were still things lacking, that he was raw, that he wasn't that player. 
I've made peace with that. So I don't judge him on that basis. I judge him on, does he give me more in the final third than some of the other players within this group? And when you look back at last season, which I think is the fairest thing to do because it's a bigger sample size, he wins. And so I can't dismiss him now. I, 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 yeah. I just don't get that. I mean, I, I will caveat that by saying I think a lot of his goals did come and assists did come in the Europa League group stages, which is is, is probably fair. Um, so you have to look at the level of opposition there. I mean, he really did shine. So fair play to him, but against lower opposition. Um, and then I, I look at it and say, is Nicolas Pepe on an upwards trajectory? And I think the answer is at the moment, no. I, I don't think he's he's getting worse, but I don't think he's getting much better. And I think we've we've given him two seasons now. This is third season. And I'm not seeing that he's really, really like making a massive case to be in the starting 11. And I, I think that's why I asked you. I think you had to think about it there. I don't, he, he should really be one of the first names on the, on the team sheet. I'm, I'm not, I'm not judging that solely by the price, but I think that the price does come into it because at the end of the day, we've invested a lot of money in this guy and we need to see a return on that investment. I'm not saying get rid of him, but I'm just saying, I think then at the end of the season, we need to assess where we are. We need to assess his impact and assess his contributions and see whether we really have, you know, acknowledged and, and seen enough from him to say, well, we're, we're going to continue and we're going to still make you a, a large, huge part of this squad, which I think he should be. And I think he has the talent to be, but he's just not producing it consistently enough. And I think maybe he he does get a bit of a buy because the team is, is a young one. It's a, a transitional team. And, you know, we're not looking at other players and saying, all right, this guy's performing every single week um, to the point where, you know, we can say to Pepe, well, you're not doing it and the others are. We're not there at the moment. So I think he, he, he almost gets away with it a little bit. But I just have not seen enough on a consistent basis to, to say that he is really like the future. Whereas I look at uh, Smith, Rowe and Saka and yes, they're young and yes, they are inconsistent. But I think I've seen enough from them already to say that, you know, these guys are going to lead us into the next sort of stage of, of where we're going in, in this project. And I think you you almost look at the likes of uh, of Aubameyang and Lacazette, and even though they have impressed in the last few weeks, I think we there's an understanding that they're not going to be here forever. Whereas Pepe, at his age, you need to sort of make that decision. So I, I understand where you're coming from. And I just think he he will be good as a squad player, but I'm questioning whether that's enough, to be honest. Just to, just to put it in context, then to kind of round off my my point on this, Saka scored five goals in the Premier League last season. So let's let's discount the Europa League stuff. If we're saying that that was against very weak opposition and and it shouldn't be something that we take too seriously, Saka managed five goals in the Premier League last season. Pepe managed double that ten. Okay, if you look at the Premier League this season, Bukayo Saka has scored one goal and got one assist. Nicolas Pepe has got one assist. So there's only one goal difference in it. Mm. And do you see the difference I'm saying where we're looking at one of them as being the hero and, and as being really somebody who performs at the highest level all the time. But then we're talking about someone who's been supposedly awful and the difference in their outputs is minimal. And and this is all the point is that I'm trying to make. And I, I appreciate there are other elements to the game that Saka has done a lot better than Nicolas Pepe so far this season. But it's that thing I can't, I can't look at Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, and I know a lot of Arsenal fans do, and say that they are 100% the solution 
for us today. I believe they will be in a year, two years time. But I think for Arsenal to get to where they need to be and to get back into Europe, we need more than just those two. We need to look beyond them and we need other players to contribute because their outputs, whether people want to admit it or not, are just not strong enough at this moment in time to be solely reliant on them. And it's one of the big issues that I've had with Mikel Arteta this season. And people say I don't criticise him. I absolutely do. I said it was a huge risk to go into the season relying on those two guys to, to almost double their outputs to compensate for leaving the likes of Pepe out of the team, for example. I think it was a massive risk going into the season without bolstering the midfield further because we've had one injury and now we're looking at a young Sambi Lakonga, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Elneny, etc. to play alongside Thomas Partey. So there are things that I think we've left ourselves short in. And I think with Nicolas Pepe, as I spoke about last night, there are players that are on the peripheries of this team right now that you need to keep engaged because you will need them over the course of the season. And if you d fail to keep those guys engaged, football's a squad game now. If you fail to keep those people engaged, it will bite us in the arse. And Nicolas Pepe is someone to me who needs an arm around him, who needs to feel loved, not just by the manager, but by the fans as well. And I think we have a role to play in ensuring that he feels at home and that he can then go out and express himself because we'll need him. We'll need him. Yeah, no, and you are right. We will need him because at the end of the day, you've got two youngsters there, Saka and Simifero, and I am, you know, showering praise on them, but I do accept that they aren't at that level where they're going to be scoring goals on a consistent basis. They they just won't. I don't think they've developed that part of the game well enough. And I think Smith Rowe's getting there. I've seen a bit of a change in him this season. Um, he obviously was on target for the England 21s as well. So I think he's adding that sort of element to his game. But you're right, he's he's nowhere near there. I just think when you place, you know, more of an of an emphasis on Pepe, he needs to produce that. And I think I'm I'm sort of judging it as well based on what he has produced previously in, in his career. He obviously scored a lot of goals before he came. He played up front as well for, for, for Lille. And my point is more that it's just an element of frustration that we can't extract that from him. And I don't really understand the reasons why. Um, is that him as a player? Is that the coaching? Um, is it the environment? You know, is That's he fair. is he not playing it? Is he not playing in the right position? I think there's just so many so many question marks over him that I just don't see the solution, and I don't think we will get to a stage. Hopefully, I'm wrong. I wish I'm completely wrong. I don't think we'll get to a stage where Pepe is producing that on a consistent basis, and that's my sort of concern. But absolutely, we'll need him because the squad at, at the moment is quite thin in in those sorts of areas. We can sort of you know move people around, but really. In, in, in terms of wingers, we're not really, we haven't got an abundance of, of options that we can afford to sort of drop Pepe and, and bring other players in. Like Martinelli was seen a fringe player. He's not ready, really. I, I don't think he could come in and, and do anywhere near this sort of job that, that Pepe can do. So even though it is a frustration, we we do need him. But I, I just hope that he can, he can kick on. And if he doesn't, I think there will need to be a conversation. Yeah, look, I'm not not ruling out a conversation being had in the summer about what his future holds. And I and I totally accept the frustration and I get it. You know, I really, really do because I get frustrated by him as well. I just think that we're very, very quick to always look back at that price tag, look at the, the young players we've got coming through and almost dismiss the importance of Nicolas Pepe in this squad. And I think last season, the fact that he contributed so much 
prove that he is a big part of it and that we're not ready yet to completely move away and say, we don't need you anymore. We can kind of push you in the corner. He needs to be engaged. He needs to be mm. part of things moving forward because we will over the course of the season, I think, see a um, a valuable contribution from Nicolas Pepe. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on to another player. And, and this is a player, again, who a lot of people have been debating, discussing over the last few months, in fact, and that is Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Now, I was at the game last night, Mike, and I, I did a post-match video from inside the Emirates Stadium and I talked briefly about the midfield and how I thought they did what they needed to do, but they weren't particularly controlling of the game. I didn't find them breaking the lines. I didn't find them, you know, really setting the tempo or any rhythm in midfield. But defensively, they were quite solid. They were quite structured. Um, I thought Maitland-Niles made a good few contributions, winning the ball back, using that quick acceleration he seems to have over short distances to be able to get himself ahead of people and, and win the ball back for Arsenal. But when I got home and I was scrolling through Twitter, I was quite surprised to see how heavily Ainsley Maitland-Niles' performance was praised. I thought he was okay, but I didn't think he was great. Am I alone in thinking that? I thought he was good. I didn't think he was exceptional. But again, I think we have to we have to look at it. And if, if you analyse it a bit deeper, those two as a pairing, I think Maitland-Niles was almost allowed to do a little bit more. And it sounds harsh, you know, but he almost looked a little bit better because his middle partner was El Nenny. And I think he was always going to be the, the bit more energetic one, the one a bit more lively, one that was going to push the ball forward a little bit. So maybe there's a bit of that comparison. But I think we're, we're seeing the the positive side of, of Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I think he has got that, that ability to, to sort of drive through the midfield and he can put in a decent defensive display. But I think the, the the problem is is the opposition. I think Leeds sometimes they almost vacate the, the midfield and they allow that space. So he does look better in, in a game like that. I think against higher level opposition where they sort of pack the midfield a little bit more. I think he does struggle. I think he struggles a little bit when he's got loads of time on the ball. He's not really a sort of player that can pick those incisive passes all the time. You know, he's not got a fantastic range of, of of passing. So I think in this particular game, he impressed and I understand where the praise has come from. But there is a worry for me long term with, with Maitland-Niles is that when he does have to do it week in, week out, can he? And I think we are going to... He's another player that, that similarly is Pepe. I'm, I've not got huge hopes for his future. I think he's got a lot of potential. But he's been on the fringes a few times. He's sort of, you know, made noises about if I'm not going to play, then I want to go. So it's a little bit of a concern for me. And also another player we need to keep happy because we desperately need him. Like when Africa Cup of Nations come, we're, we're going to need him to play. This is it's as simple as that. So I think we have to accept his limitations, accept his strengths and really, really build on that. But I think it will be great for his confidence a game like that because he came into the season saying, you know, I, I want to play in central midfield and Arteta's given him that. So he doesn't really have a have room to complain at the moment. And I just hope this can be the season where he sort of kicks on a little bit because we will need him more. Yeah, you're right. He has given him that. He's given him those opportunities. They're not going to be as frequent, maybe as Maitland-Niles wants at this point in the season. But like Martinelli, like all the other fringe players we've spoken about, he needs to take them 
when they come. Uh, Bonster in the chat says, Harry, I saw your tweet praising El Nini, but Ainsley Metanaz was by far the better of the two. Can I just make it clear? I, my praise of Mohamed El Nini was tongue in cheek because during the Euros, I criticised Leeds United's Calvin Phillips. I said that he wasn't a sophisticated enough midfielder. I thought that him and Rice as a combination were not in the same league as Barella and Jorginho and all of that. And that's what I was talking about during the Euros. And I took loads and loads of abuse from Leeds United fans. But I think that um, was a standpoint that was quite like normal, though, before the Euro started, until we saw them and we were quite surprised. So I don't think that's anything too shocking. No, it, it wasn't too shocking. But I, I got so much stick about it that I tagged Joe Wainman uh, from All Leeds, who was the guy kind of really hitting back at me. And I said, because they call Calvin Phillips the Yorkshire Pierlo, I said that the Egyptian Pierlo uh, dominated Calvin Phillips tonight at the Emirates Stadium. So he can't be that bloody great. So my tweet was tongue in cheek. I wasn't sitting there heaping praise on uh, on Mohamed El Nenny. I promise you, um, I wasn't impressed with him. i got to be honest. He, he does, as I said last night, Ainsley Maitland-Niles um, was okay. And Mohamed El Nenny just does exactly what it says on the tin, which is... Not all that much, to be honest. Um, cool. Let's take a few of your questions for the last sort of 10 minutes or, show, or so of the show. Um, what do you want to ask? Get them involved uh, in the comments section. Drop them in. We'll pick up as many as we possibly can. Uh, there are currently over 150 of you watching us, 160 of you now watching us live on YouTube alone. So let's get the likes up. We're only on 43 likes uh, let's try and get that up to as close to 100 as we possibly can between now and the end of the video. Also, um, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. We're still trying to get to that 17K mark, but we're getting there slowly but surely. So please subscribe if you're new. If you want to become a member, you can do so. And a massive thank you to everybody who's tuned in recently because we've uh, surpassed 3 million views on the channel got the, the email this morning, which is great. So uh, thank you all so, so much. If you're listening via the audio, please do leave us a review. That very much helps too. And uh, let's take some of your questions. Um, da -da 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 -da. um, John Daly says, did Benjamin White, I love that he's used Benjamin, Benjamin to make sure that he, he doesn't upset him. Did Benjamin White only start last night because if he was at home, he wouldn't be watching the match. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a bit of a running joke last night in the ground. I was I was with a mate and um, we were talking about the Ben White thing. And we were talking about how, although I don't really care if he watches football or not outside of when he plays for Arsenal, it felt like a really bizarre thing to come out and say for me, because I think it's mm. something that opens you up to criticism. And when Ben White went off, my mate turned around and he goes to me, um, yeah, he goes, you know, Ben White's had enough. He, he doesn't want to play football anyway. He's, he's played enough. He doesn't want to play two games in a week. That's why he's gone <laughs> off. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's a good one, isn't it? Um, but Ben White started the game because Pablo Marie was unavailable. We know that now. Mikel Arteta has alluded mm. to that. He said that there is a bug going around. Ben White suffering from it a little bit as well but Pablo Marie was completely ruled out and that's why he played um Bonster says uh, did you think Leeds fielded a stronger lineup than expected I certainly did Mike because there were a lot of reports going around weren't there that they were going to make wholesale changes and they didn't really yeah I mean I think probably they put up the strongest team they could but they have been hit by injuries so badly um 
I was sort of thinking maybe they might protect their first team players a bit because if they lose any more, they're not going to be able to put out a team. I mean, they've got Bamford out, Rafinha was out, Luke Ayling's out, and these are like their best players. So, like, fair play for even putting out an 11. I think when you saw the subs that... I think um, one of the players, Greenwood, he used to play for Arsenal. Am I am I correct in saying that? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm one of the, sure. I, I, I think the commentator said that he was a sort of ex-Arsenal youth player. So that just shows you they're sort of stretching really, really, really deep to try and try and fill the team. But I mean, I, I think Leeds impressed in the in the first half. I think they were probably on balance the, the slightly better side, um, but they just sort of faded in the second half. And as soon as we got our goal, they didn't really threaten at all. Um, so yeah, I mean. I, I was a little bit surprised they weren't so strong. I think they probably surprised us a little bit in the first half. We we didn't we didn't expect it. Yeah, agreed. Inter says, do you guys believe certain stats are misleading over the eye test? Look, I think when you're assessing a player, you have to take into consideration both. Okay, what are you seeing? And then what are you reading post-match statistically? I think the two combined is how you make the best judgment on a player. I don't buy into this narrative that just because you're looking at positive stats that you should completely ignore what you're seeing with your own eyes. A lot of the time, your instinct and your judgment will be right. But I also think that it's impossible to watch 11 players with the same degree of um, attention throughout a 90-minute period. It's impossible to do that. And sometimes the stats will show you something that you didn't see, not because your knowledge is lacking or because you don't know what you're talking about, but because you can't possibly focus on 11 players uh, at all times. It's impossible. You know, you, you've only got one pair of eyes. So I think you need to use both. Would you agree with that, Mike, that it is a bit of both? And it's I'm certainly not solely stats driven. Yeah, absolutely. You need to use both. Um, I think some stats are important. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest, like XG and stuff like that, I don't really pay much attention to. I think some people really absolutely love it and, and swear by it, but I don't, it's not one that's in the forefront for me. The, the stats that I sort of like looking at after a game, because obviously there's no way to assess it during the game's average positions, because it sort of gives me an idea of the system where, the system that was employed, um, where Arteta wanted the, the players to stand, where he wanted them to run. Um, and that gives me a good idea because... For me, I, I want to get your take on this, Harry, actually, because in the game against Aston Villa, everyone was saying that we played a 4-4-2. I saw it as a bit more of a, of a 4-2-3-1. I know, I know Lacazette was getting up there sometimes, but I did think he was a lot more of, of a number 10 than, than a second striker. And then when I looked at the average positions, it, I, it, it confirmed what, what I believe to be true. And it just weirded me out how everyone was saying, oh, Arsenal's new 4-4-2. It wasn't really a 4-4-2. It was a sort of variation, maybe, at a stretch. But for me, Lacazette was much more of, of a number 10. So, yeah, I think stats can sort of inform your, your decisions afterwards. But I wouldn't place too much emphasis on them. Because you, you might look at, like, assist stats. And assist, this, this came into the conversation recently. But you could pass the ball to someone on the halfway line. And they could dribble around the whole team and score. And that still counts as an assist. Whereas you might, you know have an assist like um like daily blim for van persie's diving header that was absolutely unbelievable so you know the sort of both ways definitely yeah i'm a massive i i get frustrated with that as well i think assists should be i think an assist should be playing someone through on goal should be cutting the ball back across the six yard box for someone to tap it in 
I think, you know, I think we need to be a lot more stricter about giving out assists because at the moment it is just the pass before the goal. And that in a lot of ways doesn't make the goal or in a lot of kind of instances isn't what made the goal. And I think you're right. I think that's that in particular is one that you got to watch out for. Um, you, you really, really do. Uh, let's take a couple more. Uh, Dan G says against Leicester, who's your number 10, Odegaard or Laka? I think that there will be pandemonium, Mike, if Mikel Arteta was to veer away from what worked against Aston Villa the other night. Do you agree? Yeah. Um, although I would say, I think the sort of frantic nature of the game against Aston Villa suited Lacazette in that position. I, I did say that um, during the game. I noticed that. Um, against Leicester, I think it will be a slightly different proposition because they'll be a bit more organised. I think Aston Villa are all over the place. They changed system as well, didn't they? But they completely vacated the midfield. So I think it will be a slightly different task. But I don't think you can you can drop Lacazette. And I don't think... I don't know where Odegaard was. I think he might have been slightly injured, which injured, is why he wasn't yeah. in the squad. So it would be bizarre to, to bring him back in. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe has been so good out on the left slash free role that he's been having that it doesn't really make any I think sort of the team picks itself a little bit um, against Leicester. So, yeah, I think there would be outrage if Lacazette wasn't in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's take this one final question from... Um... Messi to why? Have I read that one? Uh, it says, could Pepe play the Oba role alongside Lacazette up front? Interesting. Because there's a lot of talk about this on social media over the last 24 hours. Pepe is a striker. I think we tried it before. It's not really worked. Um, don't think he has a sort of tactical now. Don't think he really has the sort of body type to do it. He's a bit too one footed as well. I don't really see it. He he did it in league in league, but obviously you've got the length of the pitch to run for for, for most most games in in that league. So it doesn't really work for the Premier League. I think he's not really suited to it. He's more he he should be better sort of on the wing, cutting inside and, and whipping a ball in or trying to shoot uh, personally. Yeah, I think I agree. Not sure about it. Not saying it definitely can't work because I do think he's quite an accomplished finisher. Um, especially when he's through one-on-one with a goalkeeper. So I'm not ruling it out, but it's not the go-to for me. It's not something I'd be doing. If we were desperate, then I wouldn't completely rule it out. But yeah, still need to see more of him there uh, to be able to make a fair judgment and assessment on that. Right, we are going to leave it there. Uh, Don't forget, as I said before, to hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. If you're not already, make sure you give Mike a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore Stavrou. That's S-T-A-V-R-O-U. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Mike, thank you very much, mate. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll be back very soon with more Arsenal and football-related content. Until then, take care of yourselves and uh, ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.